Well, Austin, how did you enjoy your break? I enjoyed mine. Uh, eh, yeah. <laughs> you got a job. I got a job. Uh, so that that's helpful. And uh, we we decided we've been neglecting the Toronto Blue Jays too much. Um, and some things did happen the last week. So we decided <laughs> to bring in things. a couple of things. So we decided to bring in some help. Uh, Mr. Keegan Matheson, who should be on on a flight to Seattle right now, because Keegan, who the heck is going to be pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays as we talk? <laughs> So some more beautiful bullpen day, uh, I guess, in Blue Jays land. It's worked terribly the first couple of times, so uh, why not keep doing the exact same thing, hoping for a different result? That's kind of been the uh, the theme lately. Yeah, as because as we're recording, this is just almost one o'clock Toronto time, and we have no word on who's going to start for the Blue Jays after Shroman only goes. Hey, maybe it was Tulo. He was hanging out in the bullpen in Oakland the other day. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll. Uh, transplant some feet because you know guys well, you, got surgery on both you don't pitch feet. with your feet <laughs> lobbing some some 50 mile per hour muffins let's see how that goes maybe jose reyes gets dfa'd and they can bring him in <laughs> um i actually wanted to ask you about that because i thought that was the most bizarre pitching in like, i've seen a lot of guys come in and pitch i don't think i've ever seen anyone just toss it to the mound to the to the plate <laughs> like he did did you get a chance yeah, to Yeah, not him? even try to pretend to be a pitcher. That's that's kind of the idea. You at least are supposed to fake being a pitcher. But um, he kind of gave it like the backyard with your friends approach, which was uh, <laughs> which was interesting. But, uh, yeah, I think the, uh, the stat line accurately reflected the, uh, the effort <laughs> level there. I think his ERA was, what, 70 or like 50-something after that inning? Yeah. Like it was – they said he, if he even had a perfect game in his next start, and he went through all nine, all twenty-seven batters, his ERA still wouldn't be under. Like it would be around twenty-seven or something. Like <laughs> I think this goes to show if you, if Blue Jays fans think it's bad, it's not Mets bad. Um, although, <laughs> although that should be the measuring point for the rest of the season. It's not Mets bad. Uh, yeah. After uh, I mean, and and this has been a common theme with the Blue Jays is that. They haven't really been sellers to the degree that they were going into this deadline. And you're starting to see that effect on the roster a little bit. I mean, the effect was already there prior to the deadline. But those those glaring, uh, I guess when you re- subtract so much, those uh, deficiencies really become apparent after. Are we starting to see that now? Or do you think this was just consequence of playing a really good Oakland team? I think it'll be more of the same really down the stretch because this is a it's a team that's completely void of any star power whatsoever. So for the Blue Jays to win games down the stretch, they need to, A, get good pitching, which is kind of a 50-50 deal right now, and they need a few players to have decent games. They don't really have that Josh Donaldson right now in the roster who's going to go three for four with two home runs. It's... Uh, it's a roster built for depth uh, without any stars on top of it. So it's uh, going to be more of that, I think, the next couple of months in August and September. I don't think it's going to be, be terribly watchable baseball outside of some individuals, you know, like a Ryan Barucki or if Sean Reed Foley's up. But it's uh, kind of the, the ugly reality of a, uh, a post-trade deadline. That was actually going to be one of my questions about bringing guys up. And, and people keep talking about the service clock and not starting the service time early. But – at the same time, when you're when you're expecting to go with younger players going like moving forward, don't you want to have them taste 
some sort of major league baseball before they even get here. I know Ryan Brocky didn't, and he's uh, but now he is, and he's proving that he can he can somewhat handle it. We'll see if he can handle it from you know, start of the season and throughout. But do you think Ryan Brocky, what he's doing right now, kind of makes people reconsider this whole idea of not bringing up young players earlier than maybe most would like 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 to? Yeah, the, the service time discussion, I, I get it for a Vlad Jr. because if you are looking down the road, getting that extra year of service time, that's probably going to be really valuable. But otherwise, unless you're talking about an elite prospect, really you don't have any clue because of how often these prospects fail, uh, how often ones you don't expect to succeed do succeed. So there is some overthinking involved in that outside of the elite-level prospect. and. The August and September uh, reps are so valuable because when you look at uh, you know, when you look at spring training, it's a good simulation for the regular season. But uh, I don't know if it is you know a, a great training ground for these young players. You know, you you need to get the real live reps that you're getting in season, and there's only so many opportunities to do that. The Jays have a rare one right now. And doesn't it help too that I mean their I think their schedule going you know down the stretch is going to be AL East heavy teams as well and guys are going to be playing most likely be playing more seem more often than not wouldn't it be better that you expose these players to it earlier than next season in games and then they're totally I don't want to say starstruck when they go up against like a Boston or New York but at least they they have an understanding of what they're going to be going up against. Yeah, there's some value in it, and being able to enter next year without uh, being too wide-eyed, both mentally and physically. Now, the, the Jays don't have a ton of prospects knocking on the door or guys who haven't been here. I guess Sean Reed Foley and Danny Jansen are the two big examples, but even someone like an Anthony Alford has been around, so he knows what this is about. But uh, I think the Blue Jays, for the big guys, of course, Bichette, Guerrero, that's a 2019 thing. But at this point in the year, it's a heartless way to look at it, but there is no point really playing veterans uh, if you don't have to because uh, really any game that the Blue Jays win now, it's, it's nice to win. It's, it's fan-friendly, but it's not putting them towards anything, I guess, other than a worse draft pick at this point. So any opportunity at all to reasonably play younger players, I think, has to be taken. I mean, the Jays had a lot of uh, prospects that they got back, obviously, in these trades with a lot of big names heading out the door and some smaller names. But, um, like, some of the guys that they had, AAA, say, Polino Perez from Houston or a um, – who was the the AAA one they got from New York? I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Um, Billy McKinney. McKinney. Yes. Uh, or is there a chance we see any of those guys up in the uh, – when September when the rosters expand? I think you see Billy McKinney probably before then. Uh, I okay. expected Curtis Anderson to be traded. He wasn't. That yeah. would have been McKinney's spot, but I think we'll see him over the next couple of weeks. Uh, at least David Paulino, if he can get back healthy, he's a guy that's on the 40-man roster already, and so I think you will see him. Uh, you know, Brandon Drury, of course, is also there, but anybody else looking at the, you know, Hector Perez especially, I think he's more next year. Maybe he fills into that kind of – uh, along with T.J. Zoic from AA. Maybe a guy that next year can be up in AAA, and by the middle of the season, if he's pitching well, he can be starting depth. Uh, he just needs to round off the edges a bit, uh, work on the control, but he's getting close. So let's go through some of these guys that they acquired at the trade deadline. Um, it was clear that at the start it was about acquiring infield and positional depth. 
And then you saw kind of when it started with the Roberto Osuna trade that it was about All acquiring, the pitchers. acquiring pitchers. It's funny how they kind of just sway from one way to the other. But when you look at the moves, and I'm not going to ask you for each a, a, a long thing through each move. I mean, people can go to Baseball Toronto and uh, take a look at that. But out of all the moves they made, which is the one that intrigues you the most? Well, I think the, the Osuna deal, frankly, shocked me that they were able to get value uh, from a player standpoint. Uh, not only was Houston willing to take on Osuna, the package they gave up indicates they were eager uh, and they went after it because getting Ken Giles is one thing. Even if that had been a one-for-one swap, frankly, uh, that would not have been terribly surprising to me. But getting a Hector Perez who has real upside and David Paulino, who, I mean, he's got... PED suspensions, discipline suspensions, every injury you can think of, but talent. So when you look at that, that was a, a big one for the Blue Jays. And I also like what they do with their relievers, frankly, the last couple of years. The, the Sung Hwan Oh deal reminds me a bit of that Joe Smith deal from last year. Mm-hmm. Getting a guy on a low deal and, and, and trading him away for a couple of real valuable prospects in Forrest Wall and Chad Spanberger, that's uh, you know, maybe not guys that are going to rush right up and hit number three for you, but for one year, or sorry, four months of a reliever, that wasn't a short thing at all. That's that's pretty good business. But one thing I will say about these deals, and it's good that they were able to unload as much as they could because, honestly, it's looking how the team is performing and how the season has gone, this is almost like when the Leafs were bad. You just You just, whatever you can get out and whatever you can bring in, you do it. But I, I get the sense that, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's still not going to bring them over the top. What's going to bring them over the top is what they already have internally, uh, you know, with the Vlad Jr., uh, with the Bo Bichette, those guys that you, they're already developing. But maybe these deals kind of help alleviate maybe the path to rush these guys. Do you get that sense with, with how they approach this deadline? Yeah, these are all more mid-range moves. I guess other than Hector Perez, who's a fringe top 10 prospect, it's just the reality of the trade chips they had. If they could have gotten superstars, they would have. But, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with Jay Happ as your best trade chip, that's kind of tough. So for the Blue Jays right now, this fills out the, let's call it the 15 to 35 in their prospect rankings. And, and that's good because some of those will turn into depth. You know, they will turn into the next, a Ledmus Diaz or, or the next version of a young Curtis Grant or something. These players that you do need on your roster, but they're not going to really push you over the top in any way. But what the Jays need is somebody who raises the ceiling, and they're completely lacking that right now. So uh, the organization is betting on Vlad Jr., which I think is as safe as it can possibly get with a prospect. He's going to be a star. Bo Bichette, Nate Pearson, Anthony Alford, Danny Jansen, one or two of those will be great, one will be okay, one will be a bust. It's the way it goes in baseball. So you're really betting heavily on prospects. It's hard to acquire a Josh Donaldson like the Jays did, but betting purely on prospects is still a, uh, a thing that requires a lot of patience and a little luck. So Blue Jays fans are having a little hard with the whole patience thing, I think, after you know 2015-2016 where they were close to getting to the World Series and now – things are kind of going downwards in your, in your, I mean, and we we're seeing how Boston and New York are loading up, especially, you know, they have young pieces, but also putting pieces, to get them over the top. Do you think the Jays window is 2020 and on, or 
the window is whenever a guy like Vlad comes up and just uh, dictates when the window starts. I think even with Vlad coming up next year, uh, a lot of things would have to change for the Blue Jays to even be in the same league as the Yankees and the Red Sox. There's so much star power on those teams. And, And yes, the Jays will have Vlad Jr., but... Next year when the season opens, he'll be two weeks away, you know, removed, sorry, from being a 19-year-old, just turning 20. So that's not going to change the franchise immediately. And you still need to get out from the contracts Detroit Troy Kulowitzki, Russ Martin, Kendry Morales. So next year alone, that's uh, just over $50 million bucks for players that uh, you know, maybe will combine to give you a couple wins above average, if you're lucky. So I think 2020 and beyond is more realistic for the Blue Jays because – they need to, to stockpile and not just get one piece in Vlad Jr. They need a few guys to work out. And uh, those guys are going to need a year or two to hit their prime as well. So there's, um, it, it's not a, a perfect solution. It's not a perfect plan. But uh, I think next year, you know, not trying to be a downer on the team by any means, just realistically, I think next year is, is pretty tough to envision being a playoff year. It was kind of like the Jays' situation now with the Yankees, uh, their fans are seeing when they had that youth infusion with uh, Glaber Torres, Aaron Judge, um, Clint Frazier, who's coming off the bench, I believe, for them. I mean, they just have to get that nucleus. Yeah, they need something that has a little edge to it, you know, something beyond a, uh, you know, a, a nervous Solarte, Brandon Drury, Ledna Diaz. Those are all major league pieces. They're major leaguers. And, and I don't mean to frame it as them being, you know, pieces the Jays need to get rid of or detrimental to the team. But there needs to be something above that and beyond that. Uh, the great thing with young talent as well is that it's cheap. You know, being good is one thing, but being cheap is even better. If the Blue Jays can get a few really great seasons out of Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette when they are making half a million bucks, you know, that, that alleviates the pain of having Troy Tulowitzki make $20 million when we haven't seen him in a year. So that, that's going to be a big balance as well. You were uh, talking before about Jay Happ being the biggest trade piece, and obviously that wasn't the case. The Jay, and from the Jays' perspective, going into the season, they thought Josh Donaldson would obviously be their big chip that they could give away. And I, I mean, there's been a lot of talk of him being moved in August, but like, are we at a point where uh, you would rather just hold on to Josh Donaldson and try and see if he'll sign for a relatively cheap deal, or is there a trade to be made there that would benefit the Blue Jays long term? I think there's still a trade to be made if he gets back ever, really, in this month. Uh, Ross Atkins said the other day he, he's getting closer and coming off his best week, so it's realistic to expect that he's nearing a rehab assignment. So if he's back within the next two weeks, let's say, if he strings a good week together, there will be a team out there who realizes, hey, we didn't do enough at the deadline, or we had an injury since the deadline. Josh Donaldson is our chance. He's the guy that will push us over the edge, and if that doesn't happen, I think it might be more likely that the Jays hold on to him and you know do the, the qualifying offer, which will be just a little over $17 million. And uh, if he declines that, you get draft pick compensation. So that's uh, another option the Jays have. But it's, uh, you know, along with uh, Estrada, Granderson, Clifford, maybe, I think they have a few options here uh, in August. If you're looking at, if you're a team right now, um, and let's say Josh Donaldson is able to come back, what what would be the who would be the ideal team uh, to make a call for a guy like Donaldson? It's tough right now uh, you know, because mm-hmm. most teams you want to leave 
July 31st without a hole in your roster. There aren't many contending teams saying, you know, hey, we're a World Series contender except for third base where that guy sucks. You know, there, there, there's not many teams with a gaping hole. Uh, you know, I, I think you go back to the same teams that would have been around him. Of course, you always need to watch for Alex Anthopoulos in Atlanta. I think that would be one. But it would depend a lot on what happens in the next couple of weeks. If anyone struggles, if anybody is injured, you know, if, because he's somebody who is just going to be your third baseman, maybe a DH if that's what you're into, but you're not going to move him to center field or second base or anything. So it's tougher than trading a starting pitcher who everybody needs. You're trading one specific position. So it might require a, a little creativity on the acquiring team or if they have an injury before then. So pretty situational. Now, over the last couple of days, John Gibbons' name has been, I, I wouldn't say the, uh, he, obviously it's hard to blame John Gibbons for what's been going on, but there's been a lot of talk about his future and whether the Blue Jays should be bringing John Gibbons back next season. If you're management and you know that the team is not going to be, probably not going to be good next season, is getting rid of John Gibbons the right move? I can see it happening. Uh, whether it's fair or not, I'm not sure because he's been given a roster where, you know, the, the way I always say it is that he's played Russell Martin at shortstop and it hasn't been a bad idea a couple of times, which shows you the roster that management has given to him. And it's been, I think, pretty frustrating from a, a, man, a managing standpoint to go manage that team every day. Um, you know, right now we're talking at one o'clock in the afternoon. We don't know who's starting for them today. It could be another bullpen game. So, he hasn't been given the best opportunity this year, I don't think, by any means. So in those situations, unfortunately, it's usually the manager to take the fall, not the you know the people who gave them the players. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we do see a new manager come in next year for the Blue Jays, especially as they're going to be getting younger. You know, John Gibbons is a, a great veteran manager, and there is there is a skill to that. There's a nuance with knowing when to get in the way, when to get out of the way, when to let the players lead, or when, when to take over and say, hey, listen, I'm the manager, let's go my way. And that is a skill, and he definitely has it. So I'm not sure if management would want to go that same way with a younger team or not, but uh, there's some arrows pointing in the direction of, uh, of a change if everything stays the same. Now my uh, follow-up to that, um, management hasn't given him the best team to really <laughs> compete. And we know how the Blue Jays fan base feels about the Atkins-Shapiro uh, tandem and the era that they've kind of started here. And granted, they came into with a team that is older, was older, uh, guys getting injured that maybe you would have expected to not to have a bigger contribution than they would have, like a Josh Donaldson, uh, Tulowitzki, Sanchez especially. And Batista last season as well. Yeah, so but the the fan base seems to have this, um, no, they're not they're not having this patient approach when it comes to Atkins and Shapiro. How long until you think Rogers man Rogers ownership decides uh, we gotta you know, and they're gonna start seeing with the ticket sales and the attendance, and that always usually gets ownership pretty uh, pretty peeved. Uh, but how how invested do you think Rogers is in the, with Shapiro and Atkins? I think they're still in deep with them. I, I don't think that's anything we'll we'll see a change in, you know, I- at least for a couple of years, because it's it's still a front office dealing with some ugly leftovers from the last one. Uh, you know, most notably the Tulowitzki contract, some stuff like that. 
Now, at the same time, many of their moves you know, have not worked out. When you look at a, a Morales or, or some of these deals have not had the upside or really changed the team in any way. But I think it is still so early in the process, and we're going to be getting into things like stadium renovations, uh, you know, these, these issues that go beyond the team. And you know, ownership, and I think this goes for most teams in most sports, but you know, speaking to baseball, uh, a lot of the time ownership is more concerned with the business side of it. You know, I don't think the win-loss record or the players on the field or who's playing third base matters a great deal to management. Now, when that converts over to dollars and cents and, and attendance drops, sure. But uh, I, I think some of the business factors are, are big in this as well. Now, obviously, 2019 is going to be is going to be rough. Uh, I, um, but Aaron Sanchez is a guy that I think even if the team is bad, he has to has to show that he can be healthy. Do you, do you feel like the the and I know the team will probably not say that or indicate that. You think there's some frustration on that part of the organization and maybe of how they've handled it or how he's kind of how this whole situation has played out? There has to be frustration on both sides. Absolutely. Because Aaron Sanchez in 2016 looked like a guy who legitimately would contend for Cy Young. Uh, he won the ERA title that year, looked like a workhorse starter and was finally hitting that potential that the Blue Jays had always envisioned in Sanchez. Now that's still there. Physically, nothing has gotten worse about Aaron Sanchez, but between the blisters and now this finger contusion that's a bit mysterious that he's dealing with, and it's lasted much longer than we thought, it's getting to a point where his innings won't be built up again. So even if you go into next year healthy, what's he going to look like in July and August when he's over 100, 120 innings? And he is a couple of years away from free agency. His agent is Scott Boris, so that's going to be a bit of a mess itself. But the, the performance needs to be there. You know, Having potential is great when you're 19 and 20, but when you're 25 and 26, that doesn't matter anymore. The, the team needs results, and they need their best pitcher out there. So that's, a, that's a, maybe the biggest factor on the roster entering next year is whether or not Sanchez is healthy because the, the gap between a, you know, a 3.2 ERA, 200-inning ace, and someone like Sam Gavilio, that's 100 miles. We've uh, we were talking about guys in, like Reed Foley uh, in the minors. Obviously, the Jays are just in shambles when it comes to the pitching, as we've touched on multiple times here. Um, what what does the future of this rotation look like? Because, as you said, Gavilio's. Um, I mean, he's been up with the team. He's had mixed results. Baraki's done all right, um, and then you have Sanchez and Stroman, who presumably are the one and two with Estrada. And Jaime Garcia is still there. Um, like, what is what does this uh, rotation look like going down the road? Now, the rest of this year, it'll be a little patchwork. Uh, I think it wouldn't even surprise me if we see a waiver wire guy come in and jump in for a few starts just to keep this thing afloat. Maybe you see a Thomas Pannone in there as well, or a Sean Reed Foley. But Next year, setting up, I think the Jays, you know, ideally have Sanchez and Stroman at the top there with Ryan Barucki as their as their number three. Now, guys like Jay Happ and Marco Estrada are always candidates to come back for a year or two. Yeah, Jaime Garcia will be gone. That declining that option will be the easiest decision the Jays make. 
But then you're looking at some depth, like Thomas Pannone, Sean Reed Foley, TJ Zoik and Perez are, are right behind them. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Jays try to find another version of Jaime Garcia, a better one, of course, but a steady guy who can come in and pitch for one year. Maybe he's worth 5 or $8 million, but somebody who you can hope comes in, pitches well for four months, and you can trade, uh, which was the hope with Jaime Garcia, and it hasn't happened, but you, you do need some sort of veteran presence in that rotation next year. And, you know, A, from a, a leadership standpoint and all that's great, but just a guy you know is going to go out and be healthy and throw six innings. Would it make sense for the Blue Jays to bring up Janie Jansen in September and then going into next year kind of have him and Russell Martin split the catching duties? Yeah, I think next year will be really interesting. This year, one of the big problems is that Luke Maley is playing well. And I guess that's a good problem, but catching in Major League Baseball, it's it's almost like quarterbacks in the NFL. There's there's not enough. There's just it is not enough starting or playing caliber catching in Major League Baseball. Some teams are going with backup catchers who probably you know, shouldn't even be really starting full-time in AAA. Luke Maley is a, a very good backup catcher in the majors because he, he hits a little bit. He's shown that this year, some, some timeliness. I don't know if that's sustainable. But he frames pitches well, calls a good game, controls the running game better than Russ Martin does, and that's really valuable. So does that become a trade ship entering next year? Or how, how do the Blue Jays get around that? Because I think the perfect situation next year is having Danny Jansen come up and maybe have a, a 60-40 split with Russ Martin starting the majority of games. And, of course, Russ Martin can play a little third base or, or DH, however the Jays want to get into 100 games. But don't make Danny Jansen a, a backup. He needs to be a 1B and play regularly and still learn. Uh, I don't think you want to just sit him there and say, hey, watch and learn Russ for one year. You need him to play. And, you know, when I watched I watched uh, Vlad's debut with Buffalo, and he, he was a guy that stood out to me. Obviously, when you have Nick Tepesh starting, uh, you're not asking for a glorious performance from the mound. But just how he was performing with the bat makes me a little more optimistic than, let's say, last year where he was kind of earning his spot. But – What's probably the biggest thing you that maybe uh, Jay's management wants to see from him before they decide to pull the trigger and bring him up? I, I think a lot of it's going to be, it's just due to team control and contracts and all of that. But from a baseball standpoint, his, he would already be the best hitter in the Jay's lineup. That's, that's not an issue. But defense, uh, he does need some work there. He has... You know, the short area quickness and everything you need at third base. You don't need to be an elite athlete at third base. You just need to be quick and fundamentally strong, stuff like that. So if Vlad Jr. can round off the edges and even be close to an average third baseman, it doesn't matter if he's a great one, just close to average, playable, I think the Jays will take that. His base running needs some work. He, he gets a little aggressive at times or strays from the bag. He's made some mistakes there. But these are very small parts of the game uh, compared to what he will do offensively. You know, the Blue Jays have said a bunch of times they want him to focus on being the best teammate he can be. I have no idea what that means, but he is he's ready for the majors. I, at this point, it's just a matter of team control. Now, um, just kind of looking at the offseason and 
you, you kind of point out that maybe they should. I mean, I, I think they should. They should be looking at bringing in some veteran pitching, especially with the way that the rotation has gone this season. But other parts of the lineup, I mean, we don't know what Tulowitzki's uh, situation is going to be like. We know Solarte, they have options for him, but he's also a guy that people have looked at as a trade candidate. You have Brandon Jury, who, from what I can see, is going to be like the third base, second, maybe even play some second base if they need. But how does this roster even look or even start to look when you look at bringing in guys or maybe trying to move some guys out? I think something has to something has to give uh, on, on the infield there. It wouldn't have surprised me if there had been another deal at the deadline, maybe with a Solarte or a Diaz, for example. But with Guerrero and Bichette coming up, at least one of those guys has to be moved out or traded away. And Solarte might be a guy that has some value around the league this offseason, but you know, with Donaldson, you know, he'll be back and maybe play a bit, but he'll be out next year as well. And you know, the Jays will say that this is a good problem, depth is good. Sure, it's good, but uh, you, you need to make it work. You need to maximize it. And if that depth can be, be spread elsewhere, maybe turn some of it into pitching, if that's at all possible, I think that would be a much better use for the Blue Jays because right now, it's, it's five or six guys who are, are good, but you need great in Major League Baseball. So I think uh, getting Bichette, Guerrero up, Gordon Gurriel Jr., he's an important part of the future in Toronto. and There needs to be room for them to have priority on any reps. I just want to talk about Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for a sec, because obviously he's a guy that the Jays went after. He was sort of an under-the-radar, in a way, signing, because he was signed on the same day as Kendris Morales, who was obviously the main player to come in to replace Edwin um had a massive month I think he was named to the MLB's team of the month uh if I'm not mistaken and uh just crazy batting stats um how has his stock risen just from this month alone uh both with the bat and in the field I think it's easier to to envision him as a starter now now long term he he was injured early last year in 2017 for a couple of months so by the time he got back he was trying to catch up to pitchers who were already in their groove, who were already really clicking. And once you're trying to catch up like that, you're, you're out of luck. Because the year prior, he didn't play competitively either, as he was leaving Cuba, getting established, and signing with the Blue Jays. So just incredibly rusty. You know, tons of talent, but really rusty on the field. And now you see that leaving, and you see him being natural and, and being much more comfortable. So he's not going to be a, a 900 OPS superstar shortstop by any means but he can hit uh, he can hit for some power and he adds some speed on the bases and you can move him around so the, the value in Guriel, I believe is that when you bring up guys like Bichette, Guerrero, Biggio, Kevin Smith, Lourdes Guriel is the one guy you can move around them and that helps you accommodate talent so if you bring up Bo Bichette and he goes to shortstop no problem. You can still keep Guriel in the lineup, just move him to second, move him to left field, move him around, and that allows you to maximize the roster a little better. Now, I wanted to bring up uh, kind of the uglier side of what happens when a lo- uh, players are in a losing, kind of a losing culture, kind of what the Blue Jays are going through now. We got a preview of it when Marcus Stroman had that episode in Boston, and there's no telling if maybe he's that was a learning experience and you know we might not see it again but you you saw uh first i mean you you witnessed it firsthand just how you know some of that that blows up especially within the media can have that effect i know you uh mentioned that 
some of your subscribers weren't happy. You lost subscribers uh, reporting on the story, reporting the facts of the story. But uh, Strowman uh, kind of made it as uh, the media going out and twisting his words. When you look at a guy like Strowman, and the team had a meeting uh, after the first game in Oakland. Uh, Tulowitzki was a part of that. Um, what? How does a team like that try to keep things together and not have it kind of blow up in their face and have that bad culture, especially when you're expecting to bring up a guy like Vlad Jr. one day um, and you don't want to expose him to something like this? Yeah, that, that is a factor that I should have mentioned, bringing Vlad Jr. into it. I mean, I'm not sure if the, the team culture factor is an issue, but you also don't want to bring up a guy and, and show him, you know, hey, here's a losing team uh, that makes multiple errors a game and a reliever is starting tonight. You know, that's not the greatest situation to bring a top prospect into. You know, you'd like to bring him in a little fresher next year when everybody is still working toward the playoff race. And... Frankly, when Stroman had his thing in Boston, I was surprised that was one of the first real blow-ups we've seen this year. They they happen a lot. Um, the public and the fans don't hear much about them because some of it is you know, behind closed doors. This one was just a different situation. It's common to see it, but there hadn't been too much of that this year. And that's not to say the Jays didn't care by any means, but it just it hadn't boiled over. And it does get frustrating now, after the trade deadline especially, because if you are a, a veteran player, if you're looking around, it, yes, it's easy to say that the Blue Jays are, are going, you know, you're, you're playing for pride, you're playing for the organization, you're playing for this and that, but you're not playing for as much as the other team. You're not playing for as much as Oakland or as much as Seattle. And that's just the, the fact of the matter. That's just reality in any sport. So it, it does get extremely hard on the head, especially you know, the, the baseball lifestyle of being there every day, traveling all the time. It grinds people down. So uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more frustrations as the, uh, the years go on too. Do you think it kind of raises, I don't, I'm not going to say it's going to raise alarms. I think the Blue Jays management knows the type of person Stroman is, how competitive it is. Do you think they see this as a more of a positive thing in that he cares and he wants maybe wants things to be better, or do they? Event and I, you know, some people have raised that uh, other teams have tried to talk to the Blue Jays about trading for Strowman, um, and they said, I don't know what their thought process is now. Maybe if the deal makes sense, they'll do it. But do you think this would play a factor in all how they choose to deal with him going forward, especially with how the contract stuff went with arbitration? and him speaking out against that as well. Yeah, I think it's a factor. Um, you know, to to see this as a, a non-factor, I think that's um, a little optimistic for the Blue Jays. Now, of course, we're not dealing with something serious where you need to get him out. You know, Even when he had his blow-up in Boston, I mean, he didn't punch anybody. You know, he, he didn't he didn't do anything crazy. It, it was, uh, you know, a verbal outburst. So there's there's a line where it's a factor, but it's not something that's pushing him completely out. Maybe it's more of a tie-breaking factor or a nudging factor, whatever whatever word we want to land on here. But for him, I think there will be a lot of talk in the offseason because the Jays are reaching a point with two years of team control left where, you know, is he going to be part of the next World Series run in those two years? I don't know. So can you maximize that value right now? Uh, the first thing the Jays need to see is for Stroman to pitch well down the stretch. 
Uh, on Wednesday, he did not. So they need that to happen first before uh, they can even entertain anything. Otherwise, they're they're looking at someone whose value has, has dropped significantly, and they'll need that to get back. Now, th- this is where it becomes tough because fans, fans, there's a, quite a few fans that like Stroman. Um, I did see them on your timeline after the reports. Of <laughs> yeah, the... I, I met some, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you probably see some at the ballpark. But um, Troy Tulowitzki spoke in uh, Oakland, which I found surprising. People were thinking that Troy Tulowitzki became a ghost because we hadn't seen him with his injury. Do you think he's around now, especially in this time, to kind of keep the locker room, keep the clubhouse in check? I, I think, you know, in from his standpoint, uh, he thinks that's important, um, especially going into next year when Donaldson will be gone, you know, uh, Bautista already gone. That would make players like him, Kevin Pillar, kind of the, the older veteran guys in the room. And, Troy Tulowitzki, obviously, it's frustrating. He's a, a a very intense competitor, I guess is the best way to put it, and and he is someone who wants to contribute. So I think this has been more frustrating for him than anybody, uh, a year-long injury. And even if coming in, talking to the team and being around them, if, if that's a way for him to help you know, or feel like he's chipping in, I think that's a good thing. Now, it's uh, you know some involvement. It's great. Uh, I, I know when the Blue Jays tweeted out that, uh, Tulo would be meeting with the media. I got about uh, 50 tweets asking me if he was retiring, but he has <laughs> I mean, 55 or 60 million reasons not to retire yeah. right now. But, yeah, uh, yeah the Jays, uh, they need him healthy, but uh, if locker room is what he can do, that's a start. Are we pretty much writing the season off for him? Like, we won't expect him at all um, this season? I don't expect him. I really don't at this point because – Number one, the updates have been few and far between. And number two, is there much of a point? Uh, I know that it might be a moral victory for him to come back and get a few games in, but there is absolutely zero sense in pushing it. So if he would, if he's only due back in September, for example, uh, I, I don't know if that's worth pushing it. If he was due back a few days from now, yeah, sure, there's lots of baseball. Come and have at it, but yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised if we see him. Is, what does it even look like for Tulo going into next season then? Because, the, I mean, we've missed this whole year. He's now aged another season. He's a border – safe to say he's untradeable with that contract. I mean, what does is, what is the future of the Jason Tulowitzki even look like? I think next year, uh, if he's healthy and he's playing, they roll him out as a shortstop and they just have to see how it goes. The uh, – that contract, the, the reality of it is ugly. Uh, it's still too early to completely cut that off and eat all of that money. Uh, some franchises would. The Jays will not, I don't think. But uh, they're just going to have to go and, and and look at it, see if he can give them a 700 OPS even. you know, The Blue Jays have completely punted on the idea of having defense at shortstop this year. So Tulowitzki at least has that working in its favor, that they're – there's no high bar. They, they have not had a, a good defender come in at shortstop to make people say, wow, you know, uh, so long to Lewitsky. There have been times this year, pretty much all the time, when a defender who could even be average with a 700 OPS, that would be fine. There's been a few times where that would be an upgrade. So I think he's still got a, uh, you know, one or two lives left. I was just perusing Twitter while you were talking there, and I definitely was listening, but I was also reading a tweet of yours that said, Tyler Clippard will be the starter tonight. Uh, thoughts on that? 
the dream continues. That's uh, it's um, you know, to, to go and, and put Tyler Clifford as your starter uh, against a playoff caliber team is uh, not a point of pride <laughs> for for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, the, the Rays get away with doing this, but they have middle relievers who can throw four, five, six innings in the middle, or, or they are they are doing it on purpose. The Blue Jays are doing it out of desperation at this point, and. It's, uh, there have been a few times this year where I think the, the Blue Jays, in a strange way, have almost benefited from this, where things are really bad, but the, the story becomes, oh, golly, how neat is it that Russell Martin is playing shortstop? Oh, isn't that fun? Kendra's Morales is pitching. Yeah, it's fun, but that means things are going very bad. Why not, so, Kendrys? I forgot I, about him. Yeah, oh my that, God. That's, it's got some, some good PR at times, but it is a, a bad sign. Also, maybe the potential benefit is that if Clippard manages to actually do not half bad, kind of like how it did for John Axford, maybe a team then decides, oh, this is a guy worth adding uh, down the road. Do you think that's part of the part of the motivation on the Blue Jays' part? Uh, a little bit just to get him in clean you know, early on in the game and give him the clean innings. I think he can benefit from that and instead of, lingering him around and maybe bringing him into a tougher situation. But uh, I, I think Clifford's value really is what it is, unless he completely blows up. The Jays have used him very heavily, so I think that's a factor. If another team is looking at him, you know, how many pitches are left on his arm this year? But uh, it's at least good to get him the clean, fresh start the first time through that order there as hitters are digging in. Who else? Um, I know we, we didn't really touch go into too much detail. Obviously, Donaldson's another guy they're going to want to move. Is there a team that you think will will see Estrada as a valuable or a, a player that they would want to pick up? Um, I mean, with the injuries that he's had that kind of just pop up at the most un, un, unwanted times, especially for Blue Jays fans and Blue Jays management, do you think he's the guy that there there's going to be a lot of focus on? It's going to have to take a lot to happen, I believe, because let's use Justin Verlander last year, the end of August when he was traded. That's a trade you make regardless because the Astros are going to use Verlander in the playoffs. Is a team going to use Estrada in the playoffs? I don't know. He's more a guy that you add, and some folks said this about half in New York, a pitcher that you add for the regular season to get you to the playoffs then when you shorten your rotation up to maybe three guys, he probably gets bumped out. Now, I know Estrada has good playoff performances in that small sample, but for a contender right now, if Estrada puts together a couple of good starts, he probably slides in as a number four or number five on a contender. So they would only be trading for, what, maybe five starts maximum. So there wouldn't be much of a, a price tag there, I don't think. But if the Jays can find him a place, I mean, it's, it's just as much about Estrada, too, at that point with that value. If you can find him a place to have some fun and make a playoff run, why not? This is going to be a non-Blue Jays question because I found this fascinating. Um, somebody had brought up the Tampa Bay Rays uh, payroll for next season. I mean, obviously, there's some arbitration and uh, other factors that play into it, but I think it's, what, $10 million in guys that they have committed for next season? Is that yeah. is that anything you've seen? I've I've never heard of anything like this before. Yeah, that, that's pretty rare to have a team that young. And I think the Rays, for me, are the most interesting team in baseball. Uh, I'm not tr- saying they're the best 
or the most talented or the most anything else, but they fascinate me because they are making it work right now. When you look at them entering today, their record is 55 and 53. You know, they're, they're over 500, kind of without a starting rotation. And if you ask a casual baseball fan, name me uh, you know, a Tampa Bay Ray, they'd start with Chris Archer, I guess. He's not there anymore. And it's, it's a franchise without any star power, but they've kind of built it right and built it young and athletic so they can win some games. And, you know, I, I avoid saying grind out wins at all costs, but that's kind of what they do. You know, they, they do stay in and fight through these games. They can win it on the bases with defense in different ways. So they are, um, you know, maybe an, an underdog to get back into the free agent markets a little bit, but they can, uh, if they can stay cheap and still put people, uh, you know, more than five thousand people in the seats, I guess that's uh, that's good business uh, for ownership. Of course, it'd be better for everyone if they spent money, but uh, I think the Rays are happy with it. Now, when it comes to, there was also another thing that like, people always talk about when it comes to rebuilds and teams trying to build back up. They always have this tendency, and, and sometimes I'm guilty of it too, to compare with other teams. Like now people are trying to compare what the Blue Jays are doing to maybe what the Braves are doing, uh, where you have a guy, a guy who's a proven prospect, not in the majors yet, but ready to come up kind of like how Acuna did. But the Braves obviously are good, and the Blue Jays are not. Um, what's the danger, you think, in people trying to compare one team situation to another? Is it more of... The, uh, the disappointment that will come out of it because not all teams are the same or that people get their hopes too high that it could work when it's at this point, it's a toss up. Yeah. I think it's impossible to do because it, it suggests that everything has to go right. You know, that, that Vlad jr. Is going to be that version of Acuna. Well, but they are polar opposite players, maybe similar value, but complete opposites or, that this prospect is going to turn into the Mike Soroka. This guy's going to turn into the Freddie Freeman. Well, once one thing goes wrong, the whole house comes tumbling down on that. And there's so many unexpected ways it can go, and payrolls are different, ownership management are different. So I think more than any sport, really, you can do it in hockey, in football, as prospects are older and they, they come in quicker. But in baseball, I think there's just a million variables. So it's really hard to control that. All right, I'm going to ask you to dig deep into your prospect knowledge. We we know the the you know the high level and the guys that get a lot of talk, especially um, you know when you look at people who are talking on Twitter about prospects. And now we get to see how many you know how they're performing because there's accounts that are keeping track of almost every at bat that they have. But who's a prospect in the J system that is not getting a lot of attention that you think maybe should? especially now when, uh, you know, call-ups are happening or, um, you know, they're kind of having that final audition in the regular season and potentially going into all you know, the, the fall leagues. I think Kevin Smith, uh, the, the shortstop, I have him ranked as the number 10 prospect now. And going, going into the year, I had him ranked down in the 30s, actually. But Kevin Smith is a, a guy who should stick at shortstop. He's in high A Dunedin right now. Has 20 home runs in the season. I think 26 stolen bases. He's just turning into a fantastic all-around player, and and the guy that should stick there defensively. Everyone calls himself a shortstop or a center fielder, but there's always an asterisk, you know, saying that they'll they'll move off of the position. But I think Kevin Smith will stay there, and that'll be maybe part of the Blue Jays' future at that position if Bogusett 
is not able to stay there. I think that's a, that's going to be a big one for them. He could start next year probably in double A and moving up towards triple A by the end of the year because he was a college pick last year. So there's some uh, some maturity there. So I think when you look at guys like Kevin Smith, uh, Kevin Biggio is another one you know, who is leading the system right now in home runs and walks and strikeouts. He's a, a kind of a wild player to watch. But uh, there is some college-level talent coming up, and you can move that more quickly or maybe even more freely than a Vlad or a Bichette because they're a bit more polished, uh, a bit older. So um, I want to thank you also for your time because uh, you gave us a lot of your time today, so I really do appreciate it. Um, giving you, I want to give you a chance to maybe promote uh, a piece that you got coming out soon or just know where people can find your work. I know people probably follow you on Twitter, but... Uh, if you wanted, to, I want to give you the chance to some free promo promo uh, time right now. No, thanks, guys. Yeah, you can find uh, find everything at baseballtorado.com, and we will have uh, some more prospect coverage coming up. I, w- I was just going to re rank the prospects once uh, mid season, but now that there's all these new guys, I think I've been forced to do it again. So you can uh, subscribe to Baseball Toronto. There's uh, full coverage of the the major leagues and minor leagues, but. Also, a big focus of the site is the prospects. There's the top 50 prospect lists with full scouting reports uh, on every prospect, everything done independently and unique. So uh, check it out, baseballtoronto.com. All right. So that's Keegan Matheson. He is the editor-in-chief. He's the boss. What he says goes. Uh, He's the guy. He's the guy. So we want to thank you, Keegan, for your time. I know uh, the Blue Jays don't have a lot going for them right now, but it's at least good to know that there, there are some things worth talking about when it comes to this team. They at least keep that It's also part. good to know that alcohol exists. <laughs> alcohol. Um, I appreciate it, guys. All right. Thank you very much for your time, Keegan. Thanks, Keegan. Go. All right. Um, awesome. We still have this call. We still have everything going here. Um, oh, okay. Cool. Oh, no. I, 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 I like Keegan. <laughs> I though. thought we were going the editing magic. Oh no, we're not going to the end magic yet. Um, we will soon. I don't want. I want to get because Toronto traffic is on to our next shit. guest. <laughs> no. Um, I, 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 any just any takeaways from that conversation with Keegan? He definitely covers baseball for a living. <laughs> He's a no, guy. I, I mean, uh, the Jays. Uh, I I feel for him because he has to cover this team, um, and it's not going to be easy writing about this team for the next couple months. And yeah, that's basically what I've I'm I'm excited to see some of the prospects come up, especially Kevin Smith. He's a guy that's isn't talked about as much because he's an infielder. You have the likes of Bichette, Vlad, uh Biggio, all the legacy players. So I think he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but he is quite the prospect. Mm-hmm. And just hearing what Keegan had to say about that, I'm excited to see what he does. I was planning on maybe talking about Kawhi, but mm. th- this is the thing we miss. I mean, we missed it. Uh, we missed the the trade. We uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you got your new job. Um, the site was holy smokes. We've had a lot <laughs> of stuff going on the site. Between Tavares and Kawhi, I left at the wrong time. Uh, yes, um, but the score got you at a good time. So uh, I will I will say that I was off the day that Kawhi got <laughs> traded, but I got all the updates. There was like yeah, 10, it was crazy. Stories. It was. Um, I just want to quickly uh, just make this a quick conversation. Uh, a quick ask. Yep. It's been what two weeks now since the trade. Mm, it was two or three. Yeah. So we've been a, we're a couple weeks away out yeah. of it. 
do you feel that it's kind of died a bit or do you feel like everything's kind of still still fresh in terms of for Kawhi? Kawhi, Damar, and just the way everything played out. I mean, it hasn't been quiet on Damar's front because now he's starting to come out and talk. Um, so we definitely heard from him. Still haven't even gotten an introdu- introductory press conference from Kawhi. So that's... Well, not until the physical has been passed. Yeah. And until the team announces that the physical. I've heard the physical is done. Yeah, well, the physical was done like two weeks or a week ago. <laughs> yeah, when he was in Toronto. Yeah, at least a week ago. So, I mean, I'm... The trade itself is going to be, it's still exciting. Yeah. But until we hear from Kawhi, and that's a question mark because he is a quiet guy from all indications that I've seen. Yeah. Um, you're you're going to hear from him when training camp starts, which assume assume that's probably in the next Well, because USA has their camp. Um, yeah. He didn't go to the camp. DeRozan no. was there, and he was talking to Popovich. Obviously, he's his new coach. Um, well, he, yeah. There's not a lot coming out from anybody, honestly. It's sort of just one of those situations. Uh, you'd expect Kyle Lowry to talk about it because Demar is his good friend. Nothing there. It's just it's a different situation because we're so used in Toronto to having quotes and stuff right away. Mm-hmm. Like Tavares, the new he broke the news himself when he signed here. Well, there was why we had yeah. to wait a week to even know he was in the city. Yeah, so it's a different scenario and something we're not quite used to with the Raptors because everything's pretty open with them. Now. I listened to the lead podcast with uh, Jeff Blair and Stephen Brunt because mm-hmm. they had Doug Smith on, and I trust Doug Smith's opinion Doug. on basketball considering he's been covering the team since it started. And the sense that, and Jeff Blair brought this up, or was it Blair or was it Brunt, Darren? I just listened to the podcast, dude. This is so <laughs> my on. memory. Jesus. But they now made it seem that the Raptors uh, have changed with this move, that they're no longer the team that's um, – I still think there's that mentality of that the team is not on the same level as other NBA teams when it comes to how they're perceived, their reputation, but mm-hmm. that they've kind of changed a bit. They're kind of more like every other NBA team because they showed that winning, when it comes to winning, they will do what it takes. Yep. I think people, and this is my rant, is people who get are getting mad at Masai right now don't understand how this business works. The longer he holds back, and doesn't make this tri- type of move, the more likelihood that he doesn't have a job. That's pretty much it. If he had stuck with the nucleus of this team, kept Dwayne, kept DeRozan, and they had been bounced by, say, Boston or Philly in the second round. Which I think was a realistic possibility. Masai's out of the job because there's nobody else to blame anymore. Yeah. You got rid of Dwayne Casey, who had to eat it for losing in the playoffs. You're the guy that built the team. He's likely out the door if the Raptors don't win a championship or even make the finals this and, next season. And my other part to that is it takes a lot of – for him to decide, I have to make these moves. Like, this is not just something that a man just, like, is happy to do. He's not happy to fire a guy that he's worked so many years with, is comfortable with, and going with a new coach. He's not happy to trade a guy that – as we know, he he uh, the ever all the fans loved. He showed a lot of loyalty. People, if people think that this was, yes, getting Kawhi Leonard is easy. Like when when you know it's Kawhi Leonard coming back, it makes the decision easier. It still doesn't make it easy, and I, I can tell that's what it was like for him. I think this whole idea that he just didn't care or 
that he did a disservice. His his number one service is to building a competitive championship team. It's not to fa- to how do I want to put it? it your fill- job as a GM is not to cater to the fan base. No, it's not to. F- and I, I remember, and this has been a big thing in the CFL. Mike Sherman says, when you start giving into what the fans want, you become one. There's and people like and these are probably the same people that were calling for change when LeBron swept Toronto. But if and this was the one thing out of DeRozan, like DeRozan could be mad about how it all ended, how it all ended, and how he wasn't given the proper notice. Although honest, honest to God, if I'm a player and I'm expecting the team to come forward with me every time I've been in trade talks or potentially being in trade talks. That that become you become a prima donna. In my opinion, you become a prima donna that way. That's that's my that's what I got. But the part of DeRozan's interview that really I, I it showed how fragile this whole idea of LeBron playing was when he said he's now gone and we didn't get a chance. You had your chance. That Cleveland team was flawed. We we talked about this. Is if your team success is dependent on LeBron going to the other conference, you're in a lot of trouble. And you shouldn't be waiting on LeBron leaving for your window to open. Boston didn't. Indiana didn't. Indiana almost took down LeBron. Almost took them took him down. Indiana wasn't saying, Oh, wow, we're playing this we're playing the Cavs in the first round. Maybe next year when LeBron leaves for the West. No, they took him to seven. They lost. The Celtics took him to seven, they lost. That's just how it goes. They weren't going out and saying, hey, we're running from this guy. Not running. Sorry. But our success is dependent on this guy not being a thorn in our side. You have to work through that as an athlete. You can't run away from competition. And DeRozan was sitting on the bench when they needed him. Because, because he just Casey, wasn't getting it done. No. So that that's the thing, the whole part of it. Like if you're if you're a Raptors fan that wants the team to succeed. This is these are the types of moves you want to see management make. Now, if Kawhi leaves in the year, okay, you can be a little upset about that, but you're at least giving you you're at least acting like a big boy now, and that you're not afraid yep. to do what it takes to win. And also, if he leaves, you all you get that thirty million of cap relief that Demar was taking yeah. up, the, the and people- you're likely moving on from Lowry. Yeah, if you can find somebody to trade him, even if it's a piece. Good, good things in sports don't last forever. The, this whole Raptors group was not a young group like what the Leafs are going through. Like the Leafs group is built to last yeah. ten at least ten years. The this, Raptors this team were not. had a window. The the Raptors team had a window, and good for Masai. He drafted well because now he was like given how it all like people didn't give this core a chance. And Masai gave this core a chance. He gave them quite a few chances. This is arguably the best team in the East. Now it is. Boston, and all due respect to Boston and Philly, there's not a team in the East that's as deep as the Raptors. I would say Boston is the only team that I think really can push the Raptors. I mean, Philly has some pieces, but I think the Raptors... It's going to be Boston and Toronto, I think. It should be. Even when Toronto played Philly last year, they beat them almost every time. Yeah. It wasn't like it was even back and forth. The Raptors took care of them. Yeah. So um, we got 
I was gonna say we have really. We're gonna get into Leafs talk. Uh, yeah, we. we have. <laughs> I have confirmed. I, I'm. I'm not gonna. Hold I'm on. not gonna. I'm not going to spill it out on this podcast who our next guests are. We're excited. Uh, we are excited. Yes, and um, guests after that, we are excited for because we are get excited for our next our guests, and we and we have uh, another potential guest lined up as well. We do have. I got confirmation that they are willing. They want to be on the show, so. That might give away a little bit that when I said them, um, but we do have guests that have agreed to come on the show. We're just going to be working out the details on scheduling because, you know, people want to enjoy their summer. Everyone's working now, and it's also the middle of summer, so yeah. it's difficult to get people to commit to certain times. But we're all professionals here, so we'll. So we'll I'm that. not well. I'm not sure if I'm going to post this out on social. Maybe just when it happens. We'll put it out, but I'm probably. excited. Uh, I think that'll probably be the next episode. Just, um, I'm hoping, unless something happens with the Leafs well, next. I can week. tell you my schedule after we're done. I know that. So we'll yeah, figure it out. Basically, yeah, I gotta coordinate with Austin and then coordinate with our guests. So guys, uh, Keegan was our first guest when we <laughs> ever on this podcast. He was our second. He's probably gonna be our third. He's <laughs> yeah, knowing knowing we love this, having that guy on. Um, Keegan's great to have on, um, but we will have someone different for the next time, I think, unless something happens with the Blue Jays and we need Keegan to bail us out. <laughs> um, Keegan, if you're listening, if something happens, we're calling you. Yeah. So make sure you follow us. Um, you can follow Austin underscore Austin Owens on Twitter. Um, check out anything he he'll probably tweet out stuff he puts out on the score. Yeah, I, I my name won't be on it, but I'm behind the scenes we're working on stuff, so. Um and then you don't mind giving the score a shout out. Um Yeah. We we had over there. So there you go. Paul um I don't know if Paul's listening. I don't know if Paul listens to the podcast and I never asked him, but Well, I mean it's, it's uh, when it goes up he'll be asleep. I think we had our second best month. Whew in um in our history um it was our best month as a duo as an editor uh it was a great month so to anybody who's been listening to the podcast and clicking on our site thank you very much this was a great month it was good to see all the work we put in wasn't for nothing august don't tell them that i've just been on pages refreshing uh yeah august will be a tough 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 month especially uh with the blue jays not it was a grind last summer i remember uh, and with the Argos and stuff, um, they'll they'll be they'll be in my conversation eventually. Uh, <laughs> they're just right now they're not doing very well, so there's yeah. not much to talk about. There's a lot to talk about with the Argos, <laughs> but finding the people that want to listen is a little tough. Yeah, but yeah, uh, you can follow my stuff d underscore more city on Twitter and also from on the tip of the tower website. I do I not writing as much with Sportsnet just because it's not that much to write about, but uh, you can. Look at any of the stuff that we've got on sportsnet.ca as well. And we'll hopefully have a guest from Sportsnet or one or two guests from Sportsnet uh, come in to chat. Uh, I do have a couple of people in mind as well there that I want to uh, I want to bug, just like we bug Keegan. So thank you guys for listening. Enjoy your week- long weekend. This is a long weekend. Um, Aren't we lucky? I, all I will say is if you're tired of watching the Blue Jays, TFC still has a chance to make the playoffs. And, yes, the 1-5 Toronto Argonauts still have a chance to make the playoffs too. So uh, give your other Toronto summer sports. And the Wolfpack are, um, Great are still to around too. So yeah. give give your other Toronto summer sports teams uh, a look as well. 
because they they at least deserve some love as well. Thanks, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.